the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Obviously, he's talking here about how many of the Jews in his day rejected him. They didn't want him to be king. They they didn't want him to be Messiah. They didn't accept him as Messiah. But he's going to return. He's going to eventually come again. And what is he going to find among the faithfulness of his servants? And the gist of the parable is, second bullet point, is teaching us to live a productive life using the gifts he has given us while we wait for his return. The Lord has blessed you with specific gifts and talents, and He's asking you to use them to show Jesus to others. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share a parable taught by Jesus about this very idea, using your gifts for the kingdom of heaven. He'll remind you that Jesus is going to come back one day, and when He does, He'll want to know what you did while He was away. Don't hide your God-given talents from the world. Instead, use them. To bring people hope and new life in Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 19 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He pulls Zacchaeus into the circle of the saved, not to reject him just because of what he does, but he's a tax collector. And um, the Bible mentions his stature. It says that he was, he was a short man. Many of you grew up singing the song in Sunday school. It's kind of a cruel song, you know. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And so here he is, you know, a wee little man. And he has to climb up a tree in order to be able to see Jesus. So I want you to picture Danny DeVito in a tree. <laughs> wearing a toga. And there he is. And so, you know, he wants to get a view of Jesus. And little does he know that there's going to be a divine appointment here. Because Jesus comes along, looks up and sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, you need to come down. I need to go to your house today. You know, he's probably looking around like, moi? Yes, you. And everybody else in the crowd is probably like, what? Going to the house of sinners. You know, and that's what it says in the text. You're like, can't believe this guy. And Jesus, you know, going to the house of sinners like this. But Jesus, you know, this is the welcoming, loving arms of Jesus. He wants all people to be saved. He doesn't discriminate against class or size or race or gender. It's all that all might be saved. For God so loved the world, for the world, that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus comes to even save this guy. This guy comes down, tells us in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. I guess it just needed to make sure we knew he was actually standing. I don't know why it has to say that. 
But uh, Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, Look, Lord, now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. In Exodus chapter 22, it talked about making restitution to people that you have wronged or robbed. And it says in Exodus 22, if a thief robbed someone and was caught, they had to pay back double. Double. What Zacchaeus says here, four times. If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. He goes over and above even what the law requires here. Why? Because at the point of conversion, his heart is so moved that he wants to do the right thing. See, good fruits follow the relationship. It's it's not that we do good things in order to be more loved by God. It's that when we fall in love with God, we want to do more good things. And for Zacchaeus, he knew, I have now come into this relationship with Jesus. I'm now saved. It's all implied in the relationship here that he comes into faith in Jesus. He gets saved. And now his heart is moved to want to do the right thing. And he needs to do the right thing by making restitution with people that he has wronged. Uh, D.L. Moody said, restitution is good proof of a changed heart. And it was evidence in Zacchaeus' life that this guy had a changed heart. And so he wants to do the right thing here. And Jesus commends him. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save. And interestingly, there's that word sozo again. To save what was lost. Both of these stories, they both receive sozo. They both receive healing. That word sozo is translated healed in the first story. It's translated save in the second story because that's the ultimate thing that Christ came to do. I still believe he works miracles and we pray for the sick and we believe God to do miraculous things in our bodies, but that is not the most important thing. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What would it profit someone to get a physical healing, but yet their soul isn't right with God? And in the end, they perish. So Jesus is concerned about the whole person. He wasn't concerned only about opening the eyes physically. He was also concerned about opening our eyes spiritually. And that's what he does here for this guy. He goes on in verse 11. It says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, that's key to the parable we're about to read here. Everybody's starting to get a little bit anxious. Okay, Jesus is coming into town. So they start to ask him, is the kingdom of God going to come now? Is it going to appear at once? And he said, verse 12, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. If you have a King James Bible, it says pounds minus. A mina was worth about three months wage, okay? About 100 days, about three months wage. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Now, let me just pause in the parable because I want to clarify something here. You have this, this is a parable, okay? Jesus is telling a story to illustrate the answer to their question. Is the kingdom of God going to come now? And Jesus says, okay, listen, the kingdom of God is like a nobleman who went away to another country and where he was going to be, become king. And before he leaves, he gives his servants 10 minus. And if you look carefully at the story, it basically means he gives one uh, he gives one minus to each of the ten servants. He has ten minus, and there's ten servants. He gives one to each. 
Okay, and then he leaves those servants behind and says, and he's going to say here, now put all of this to good use here, to good work. He goes then to another country where he's going to be made king, and it is the subjects or the citizens of that country that don't want him to be king, not his servants. So, so keep that in mind as you go through the rest of this parable. Now, the servants are back home. It's the subjects here, verse 14, or the citizens of the new area where he's, this king is ruling, who hated him. And sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Well, verse 15 says he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay, now let's just break this down a little bit. First thing first, there's basically three bullet points I want to give you from this parable. First thing is that the answer to the question is that the kingdom of God or or Christ's coming will be delayed. You see, he knows he's going to go to the cross here. He's going to be crucified. They want to know, when are you going to overthrow, or anybody for that matter, because um, not everybody's certain that he's Messiah. Not everybody is. When is the kingdom of God going to appear? In other words, when is the Roman government going to be overthrown? We're tired of Rome. We're tired of taxation. We're tired of the heavy hand of government. We want to be free. Is it coming now? And Jesus teaches this parable in part to help them realize, first bullet point, kingdom of God, it's on delay. A Roman government's still going to be here for a while. There's going to be kings. There's going to be the rise of kings, the fall of kings. There's going to be nations. There's going to be different powers and rulers. One day, I'm going to come again. Kingdom of God on delay. And so he talks about this parable in terms of this nobleman who goes away to be king. Now, in the story, as you read through this with me, you can kind of get the idea here that he's talking about himself. He's going away. He's going to be made king. In the meantime, he's going to entrust his servants with some of his possessions. And he discharges them with a responsibility to put to good use what he is entrusting to them. Meanwhile, the people, the citizens of this new kingdom where the king is going to rule, they don't want him. So obviously he's talking here about how many of the Jews in his day rejected him. They didn't want him to be king. They they didn't want him to be Messiah. They didn't accept him as Messiah. But he's going to return. He's going to eventually come again. And what is he going to find among the faithfulness of his servants? And the gist of the parable is, second bullet point, is teaching us to live a productive life using the gifts he has given us while we wait for his return. That's what he's basically saying here. 
and the one used one mina and basically is entrusted with certain gifts and, and uses them in a wonderful way. The second guy uses his gifts in a wonderful way and they are proportionally rewarded for it. One guy turns one into ten, he's going to rule ten cities. One guy turns one into five, he's going to rule five cities. You have the third servant, though, he's like, you know what, I didn't do anything with it, because you're kind of a hard, grumpy man, you know, you're just hard to get along with, you're kind of grumpy, you just, you know, I don't really know that I should do anything with this, so I just kind of, you know, hit it, and I didn't do anything with it. And it looks a little funny here, because it almost looks like, if, if you follow the parallel, that Jesus is saying, yeah, in fact, I am kind of a, you know, this angry ruler here, because because he says here, uh, he says in verse uh, 22, his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? I mean, is, that, is God really like this? No. So what he's saying here is, where, where in our Bibles it says, you knew, did you? It would be better translated in our vernacular, you thought, did you? That's what you thought about me? You, you thought that I was this hard man who was unfair and, and, and I don't treat people right? Is that, is that your perception of me? Okay, if that's your perception of me, then you'll be judged for that. And what I gave you will be taken from you, given to the guy who's more responsible with what I've given you. But all of this to say, basically, I, I think it's dangerous sometimes when we try to look at every nuance of a parable and say, this must mean this and this must mean this. I think the gist of it is simply what I've put up there for you. That we are to live our lives, live a productive life, using the gifts that he has given you while you wait for his return. Don't squander what God has given you. Look at your life. Look at the talents and abilities that he's given you. Look at the resources that he's given to you. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to use all that God has given us to live a productive life for the glory of God until he comes again. Don't squander it. Don't sit on it. Don't waste it. Use everything that God has given you for his glory because we're in this time period right now while we are waiting for his return. Because the Bible says he's going to come again and he will rule and reign from the earth. And will he find us faithful? Will he find us as his servants using all that he's given us for his glory while we wait for his return? Because that's what he wants. Now, the servant here who didn't use the gifts wasn't that he was judged here. He wasn't like thrown into hell, okay? The judgment comes, and it's the last part. Simply the last, the third servant simply just had taken from him what God had given him and given to somebody else who's going to use it more for, for God's glory. The one who's judged is verse 27, where he says, But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So the third bullet point is that there will be judgment for those who reject him. And that last verse there is a reference to the people of the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom, not as servants. The citizens of the kingdom who rejected the king will be judged. And that is the truth. There will be judgment for people who reject Jesus. And that's why it is important for us to see the urgency of the hour and to share Christ with as many people as we can because God wants all people to be saved and none to perish, the Bible says. And he wants us to be the vessels of that message so that people can understand the love of a Savior who gave his life for the sins of the world. So we need to be a part of that to share that good news. But this is the gist of the parable, the ten minus. And then let's just make our way through the end of the chapter. Here we come to the triumphal entry, and this is kind of a straight read. This is familiar to many of you. This is what is obviously otherwise called Palm Sunday. So we're heading into now here in Luke 19. This is the last week of Jesus' life. 
because the triumphal entry is Palm Sunday when he comes into Jerusalem. So let me just read through the end of the chapter. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. John's gospel adds also palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26. They see him as Messiah. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Circle that word, wept. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on a another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So he was very popular still. It's not going to be till later in the week when and the crowd will turn and they will ask for him to be crucified. But here Jesus comes riding on a donkey uh, into Jerusalem, uh, predicted by the prophets that this is the way he would come, gentle, mild, and meek. Listen, the Bible says when Jesus comes again, he will not be riding on a donkey. He will be riding on a white horse. He will come in victory when he returns. But when he first comes into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, meek and mild, the people hail him by quoting uh, from Psalm 118, verse 26. They lay palm branches, John's gospel says. We call it Palm Sunday. He's coming in for the final week of his life. And just as he comes over the Mount of Olives, when we go to Israel, uh, you come just down the crest of the Mount of Olives, and you can overlook the city of Jerusalem. There's this beautiful view that you can just see the city of Jerusalem, and it is there somewhere on the, on the hillside descending the Mount of Olives. Jesus just stops, and he wept. Now, there's two times in the Bible that it says Jesus wept. The most familiar time that we refer to is when Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. It's in John 11. And when Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, the Greek word for wept is dekruo. And decruo means to shed a tear. To shed a tear. It's just a little tiny tear. Because Jesus ultimately knew that Lazarus 
was going to be resurrected from the dead, and then even beyond that would be going to heaven. So all is well with Lazarus. But the word that is used here for weeping over Jerusalem is a different Greek word. It is the word kalio, and it means to sob bitterly. I want you to try to get a glimpse in your mind's eye of Jesus just sobbing over the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping. Why? Because he weeps for the lost. He weeps for those who would reject him. And he came among his own, John says, and his own received him not. And he's weeping. He's just sobbing over the city of Jerusalem. And then he prophesies. He said, there's going to come a day when not a stone will be left in the city. It's going to be overturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, which, by the way, is a passage which expresses to us the divinity of Jesus because here he is coming. He says, you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is God. But interestingly, when you go to Israel, the stones that are still there, the street level there was uncovered in the 1990s. It's right, this is right against the western wall of the old city of Jerusalem. And that street was uncovered in the 1990s, which was street level in the days of Jesus. And those, those stones there are intentionally left as a reminder of what happened in 70 AD. August the 9th, 70 AD, under Titus Vespasian, the Romans came, they destroyed the temple, and they threw the stones from the higher part of the wall over onto the, onto the street below, and those stones are left there as a reminder of what happened August the 9th, 70 AD. They haven't been touched since. This is a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. There was a revolt among the Jews. It lasted from about 66 AD to 73 AD. It culminated in the events of Masada, where Jews escaped to Masada from the Romans. But what happened in 70 AD was as a result of the Jews revolting against Rome and taxation and all these, the Romans came and they besieged the city of Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and they overthrew the stones And history tells us Josephus, who was an eyewitness of the events, he's a Roman, he's a Jewish historian. He was basically uh, taken by the Romans and made to be an historian from the first century. He was an eyewitness of the Romans destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD. And he wrote that there were 1.1 million Jews who were killed by the Romans. 1.1 million and 97,000 Jews were taken as slaves. The Romans destroyed the temple They burned it. How do you burn stone? They took olive trees from the Mount of Olives, piled them up on the Temple Mount area, and the natural oil within the olive wood was combustible. They lit the wood. It burned and melted all the gold of the temple. Because if you read the Bible, the temple was inlaid with gold on the inside. It melted all the gold. The gold then seeped down between the crevices of the stones on the foundation floor of the Temple Mount area, and the Romans, in order to retrieve the gold that had melted and gone down in between the cracks of the foundation stones, after it hardened and cooled, they picked up and they took the stones and they separated them to get to dig down to get the gold, and they threw them over, and this is what remains. This is what remains. And the words of Jesus... Of course, all came true, but in this particular tragic prophecy came true as well because they did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Listen, God still weeps over the lost. God still weeps over the lost. He wept over Jerusalem, and he still weeps over those who would reject him. 
And I don't know where all of you are in your relationship with him, but I pray that if you up to this point have not received him, God weeps over you because he wants you to be saved. And there's no greater time than right now. I invite you to receive him as your Lord and Savior. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from his birth to his ministry, his death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know